Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us. We've spent time singing your praises. We've spent time praying. We've heard your word being read. And as I preach now, I pray, Father, that you give me clarity of thought. As I preach, I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't preach my words, but I would preach your word, O oh God. And I pray, Father, that all of us, as we listen to your word being proclaimed, that you would change us, you would transform us, Lord, that we would not just be listeners of your word, but doers of your word, Lord. Give us much grace towards that, O oh God. All this we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In 1994... There was a, a young man who had just finished his undergraduate studies and he was looking forward to doing his master's, his MBA. And uh, the thing unique about him, his name is Dilip, uh, the thing unique about what Dilip was doing was he was praying that God send him to a place where much mission work can be accomplished. So he saw himself as a missionary student going into some university. And as he prayed about it, as the Lord opened doors, the Lord opened doors for him to go to a university called Cochin University. And uh, he spent his first few weeks over there, not just attending classes, but then he would stand outside the campus handing out pamphlets saying, hey, come for this meeting. It's going to be happening on Wednesday evenings. And as he passed on these pamphlets, People would take it, they would read it, and as they would go by, they would crumble these pamphlets and throw it back at him. And it was so humiliating for him. Very often what happened every day was people would take this, they would go upstairs into the building, and from the building they would crumble it and throw it at him. You can imagine a guy in a university standing in the middle with a pile of paper crumbled all over him, and as people walk by to and fro, they would see these papers being thrown at him. He didn't stop. He kept doing that. Not just did he not stop doing that, every Wednesday he would show up at this room hoping and praying people would come so that they would hear the word of, the, of our Lord being preached. But no one turned up. He kept doing that for several months. And then one more person turned up. Then another person turned up. And then... A professor from another university heard the story and he said he wanted to move to this university for the sake of proclaiming the gospel. So this is a missionary professor now trying to enter into this university. Long story short, in the year 96, 97, I reached this university as a, uh, as a student uh, to do my engineering. And uh, I likewise get the invitation and I show up. I hear the gospel Give it six months. I was the first person in three years to be saved in that campus. All because one student followed what he believed God was leading him to do. In the many years that have passed now, it's, it's 20 years uh, since that event, many have been saved, many have gone across different mission fields, many have planted churches, but it all started with one man obeying God's voice, who went to the university and stuck with what he believed God was calling him to do. And very often when we read the book of Acts, we think that these stories seem very distant. This happened 2,000 years ago. It, it cannot happen now. And sometimes we are discouraged. We think, okay, we live in a different world. God has a different way of operating. 
But again and again you hear these stories as we hear the book of Acts being preached of how people listened to the Holy Spirit and then they went ahead in obedience and God's mission was accomplished. And Dilip's story was no different. And I had the privilege of going around and growing with these people and I just thought this was normal. This is how Christian life is. But unfortunately, many of us think that this is a foreign world. How can this be part of our life? And maybe some of you are yearning today for that kind of a meaning, that kind of a sense of God breaking into your daily reality like it happened in the book of Acts. And that's what Acts 16, verse 6 through 40 is going to do. If you prayerfully follow Jesus' spirit, you will experience likewise God's spirit, God's kingdom breaking into your daily reality. If you prayerfully follow him, you will experience, you will see God in various different ways, ways breaking into your daily reality. But the question is how, what, what, why should you follow Jesus' spirit? And this passage gives us two reasons. One, because Jesus is directing and accomplishing his mission even now. Yes. Do you believe this? Do you truly believe and do you truly live like Jesus is actively working by his spirit in your neighborhoods, in your offices, in your schools? Is that how you live? Oh, I know some of you truly live that way. I've heard of your stories and I, I praise God for your lives. But some of you may be cynical and you may be doubting. But this text shows us that God truly, in Jesus, by his spirit, is accomplishing his mission even now. If you look from verse 6 onwards, you see Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and eventually Luke. They are traveling together as a team, and they are trying to break new ground in, in sharing the gospel in different territories. But as they move, their eyes are fixed on the spirit of God. They're waiting on the Spirit's leading. And verses 5 through 15 in particular shows two ways that the Spirit is still leading them. The first is that the Spirit forbids them. In verses 6 and 7, you see that the Spirit is forbidding them to enter Asia Minor. And then you see the Spirit is forbidding them to enter Bithynia. The Spirit has so many ways of leading His people. And one of the ways is that the Spirit of God forbids His people, though the mission is close to God's heart. And Paul and Silas did not stop waiting on God. Almost like Dilip did not stop waiting on God, though all that was happening around him. And guess what? The Spirit not just forbid Paul and Silas and the team, but he led them forward in very special ways. And one of the ways was through a vision. In verse 9, Paul receives this vision where a Macedonian man pleads with him saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. The Spirit leads through visions. Vision is not primarily a little balcony party between you and God. And if all goes well, um, the, the archangel Michael joins you in the process. I had a friend in university, the same university, a friend of mine uh, who I saw one day he was walking and then he was smiling to himself and, and I, I, I thought this was weird, what is he doing? And I went to him and 
And I asked, hey, buddy, what's up? What's up with the smile? He said, God just spoke to me. And I said, what happened? He said, he showed me that my top button was opened, and he just revealed himself through a vision and told me to put my top button up. As uh, funny as that sounds to some of you, uh, this can go to any crazy extent, you know, uh, the permutations and combinations of such visions. But the vi visions in the Bible primarily is God's divine intervention, God's divine intervention to equip and establish God's people for the sake of his mission. That's how vision is in the Bible, and that's what's happening here. Even a few weeks from now, two weeks from now, we'll have a vision night in this church where the pastors of the church will update the church on the vision and going, the, the process going forward. And God uses, like even in the story in the book of Acts, God uses community to confirm or critique and, and go along. Mission is not one man's vision. The vision... It's for the community, for the sake of the expansion and establishment of God's mission. So that's what God does over here. And Paul and Silas and Timothy, together, they head over to the city of Macedonia, uh, Philippi uh, in, in Macedonia. And once they arrive there, the Spirit leads them in even more specific ways. So after staying for a few days in Philippi, come another Sabbath, another uh, day, they go out and they look for people to pray with. This is the Sabbath. And they go towards the river because the riverside is where the Jews usually gather together. And as they were talking with people and they reach the riverside, they find a lot of women out there. And they are led specifically to engage and discuss the things and the matters of the kingdom with Lydia. Lydia is a rich businesswoman, and she trades in purple. This, my friends, is the high-end haute couture of the time. Her clients are the Athenian fashionistas and the music divas. Everyone wants to be with her. She's well-connected, and she's savvy, and to top it all, she is God-fearing. It is a Saturday, a booming market day, and she sets everything aside to be with the rest of the God-fearers in that vicinity. And as she is there in verse 14, the scripture says, the Lord opens her heart to listen to what Paul was saying. The Lord does a mighty work. The, the theme of the book of Acts is that is the acts of the risen Jesus from heaven by the Holy Spirit through his people. And that's what's going on over here. The Lord opens, this Lord Jesus Christ opens her heart by the Holy Spirit because as you see, the whole context was how the Holy Spirit was either forbidding them or leading them forward to specific people over here in this case, Lydia, through his people on earth, which is Paul who was interacting with her right now in fulfillment of God's promises recorded. God's eternal promises through the prophets which are proclaimed to Israel, finally is becoming accomplished, even in this small scenario, through people. The Lord opens her heart, and she and her household believe and get baptized. And the new order of discipleship is, bears a 
bears its weight on her family, her social and her economic life. And she follows the Lord. And she even begs the, Paul and the others to stay in her house as she follows the Spirit of God. Do you see how Jesus directs Paul and Silas and team? Do you see how the Spirit of God directs and accomplishes His mission? Sisters and brothers, our risen Lord Jesus, He's actively working in and around us in different ways. As leaders are elected into high offices, know that our King Jesus is on the move. As we hear of leaders of this country and other countries plotting against our Lord's kingdom and His values, it is our Lord who forbids wisdom and they darken themselves amongst their own counsel. As nations wage war against nations, and as they plot in ending each other and their kingdoms, it's our Lord who raises people amongst them to speak visions of peace, and restraint is exercised. Remember a few months ago, when there were heightened tensions between America and North Korea, I thought everything is just going to blow up. I'll be honest. Each president trying to say that they've got a better button to press. Is this what everything is coming down to? Is this how the world is going to end? There's a way that we can see everything around us and think darkness is engulfing every arena. And that's true. We live in an age where the sun barely shows itself. And some of you here might be cynical, even thinking, is God truly at work? Then why is all this happening? And I would plead with you that this is the time, I would submit to you, this is the time that you call upon the Lord. You raise your voice and then you say, how long, O Lord, how long? We as Christians should wait for every wind that blows by to spark our imagination, to show us that the Spirit is truly at work. Are you looking at Jesus' Spirit? Are you praying and listening to him? Are you having those conversations with your spouse and your church members about how the Spirit is leading you every day? As a church, we all confess that we believe that God is with us. We believe and we hold on and affirm to the fact that the Spirit leads us. But do we act that way? Many of you who are married over here would probably understand this better, but some of you who are youngsters, uh, children in this church who are with their parents also might understand this well. If I'm at home and one day I just walk out of the house and do whatever I want, things are going to get messy at home because my wife would be like, who did you even ask? The kids would be like, Papa, where were you? What's going on? If we live as one family, there's a sense in which we operate as a family. You just don't do what you want. But very often, we as Christians have this divorced relationship with the Holy Spirit. We acknowledge that He's there. We acknowledge that we walk with Him. But functionally, we operate as if He does not exist. 
We don't have our conversations. We're not waiting to hear and see, is the Spirit leading us? Is He directing us? How much is He part of those conversations between, in your own life? Prayerfully, my church, prayerfully follow Jesus' Spirit. Prayerfully follow Him because He is allowing the kingdom to break into your daily reality through that relationship. And he is already at work. Do you live in this environment? Do you live knowing that the spirit of God has, is animated and is working in everything around you? Are you walking in the knowledge of that reality? Because if you do, you will find out how God breaks into your daily reality. But the question is, how does it look like? At the end of the day, when you are prayerfully following him, what does that look like when you hear these words that God's kingdom will break into your daily reality? What does that look like? What is the shape of that? What color does that take? Is it church planting? Is that how God's kingdom would break into your daily reality? Is, that, is it living holy lives in God's presence? Is that how it looks? I have, uh, I have a friend in Villanova who uh, once told me if there is a murder in Chicago and they find a blue fleece sweater in the site, he said if he, he read something like that, he would suspect it was me because he sees me always wearing a blue fleece uh, sweater. Uh, and many of you all I know have also joked about it with me. And I, I want to tell you, I, I do watch this very often. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just what I have and that's what I love wearing and you know I don't like experimenting with new clothes uh, that's just me boring me uh, um, but there is a sense in which some people know oh yeah that's, that should be Vivek you know looking even from the back um, there, is, there are things you do in life which imprint who you are there's a way that you carry yourself by which people say, yeah, that's who he is. That, that's, you know what, that's Sergeant, definitely. You know, I'm not saying he's awkward when he walks, but, uh, <laughs> but you know when people walk or when people do certain things, there are some characteristic features about it. When the kingdom of God breaks in, there is a certain shape and color it takes. And for that, you need to prayerfully follow God's spirit, Jesus' spirit, because he not only directs and accomplishes his mission, but he also brings about real deliverance. And that is the shape and color God's kingdom bearing into our daily reality looks like. It has the color of deliverance. And that's the next reason why we prayerfully follow Jesus. He brings real deliverance and that's how he breaks into your reality. That is the overall theme of the scriptures. Jesus, my friends, he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. He delivers people from the oppression that sin birthed into this world. The evil one has inserted corruption into the very fabric of our existence, and it has ever affected everything. All people, all animals, all plants, all nature, all creation, from the stars in the sky to the dust on the earth. Everything has been affected. 
and he has come to deliver us from this vast, expansive power that sin has exerted over every sphere of human life. But unfortunately, many Christians have a shallow view of what the gospel is. And maybe you have a truncated view of what the gospel is, and you have relegated it maybe to one or two things. But I want to remind you that Jesus brings about real holistic deliverance by his spirit. Let's look at the text from verses 16 through 18. One day Paul and his team were on their way to prayer. Again, prayer. See how much prayer is part of their, their ministry philosophy? And they ran into a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She was a victim thrice over. This slave girl, she was a girl. I need not elaborate the value of a girl back in those days. It was lesser than that of a woman, who very often was even treated lesser valuable than an animal. And then, of course, men on top. That's how the structure those days looked like. And she was not just a girl, she was a slave girl. She was someone with absolutely no rights, no freedom. She was someone to be used and exploited for her master's profit. This kind of slavery, which oppresses the enslaved, is something that we need to be careful of as we read the scripture. Slavery and economics have a long history, and very often there is a demonic religion that protects it at its very heart. She was a girl. She was a slave girl. She was a demon-possessed slave girl. Well, she was a fortune teller, and she made large profits for her masters through this. Now that she sees Paul in company and them engaging with the crowds, she comes into all these meetings and she starts yelling out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation, they are the servants of the Most High God. And the text says that she did this for several days. Imagine you are a missionary and you head to Mumbai to work for, with BTC for a week. And you dread a little bit because you've heard of the ultra right-wing Hindu fundamentalists in operation in all these big cities in India. And you fear persecution and you're on the plane and you touch down Bombay and you're very nervous getting out of this plane. But you know you have to because Jim and Lena are waiting there with the garlands, the Indian welcome, with elephants outside the airport. And you have to go with the flow and you get there. Two days later, it's your turn to preach. And as you are preaching, you see the temple priests walking to you. People in saffron, people you dreaded, are walking towards you. And suddenly this man picks up the megaphone and he holds it right there and he calls to all the people and he says, Listen ye, listen ye. These people who are proclaiming the way of salvation are not like me. They serve the Most High God. What would your reaction be? If it was me, I would be so glad. I would be so relieved. I would praise God. Isn't God great that he's looked after me this way? In fact, I would pick up a discussion with the temple priests. 
I would have elaborate conversations with his disciples. I would probably, out of my funds, take them to the local Han dynasty and treat them over dinner. And then I would invite them again for the next day's meeting and they would come again and probably say the same things. And I would be thinking, God is bringing great success in my ministry over here. And as I head back on the way back, maybe as you head back, on the flight back, as you sleep, you would have a smile on your face saying, God couldn't get this good. Well, that's not how Paul feels. He's annoyed by the deceptive praise influenced by evil spirits. He sees the girl and he's moved by her plight. He looks at the girl and he speaks and commands the spirit within her to come out. And it comes out right away. The girl is delivered from her misery, which enslaved her in the first place. What is it that Paul sees here, which you and I are missing out on? And so this is the key thing. He, Paul, and the team is prayerfully following Jesus' spirit. They know exactly how 15 to 20 years ago, Jesus operated. When they see these spirits, they know how they've got to deal with it because they are following Jesus' spirits, not their ideas, not their want of fame and acclaim. Paul wouldn't accept the praise of that demon. He, like Jesus, sees what's going on and he prayerfully follows Jesus' spirit into delivering the girl. This is what disciples of Jesus must do. You and I must look beyond pious God talk. We must look beyond pious God talk and speak into the oppression of people. This passage has proved that there is a lot of religious babble out there which masks demonic activity. The point was not to silence her voice, but to release it from its networked captivity. Ministry in the name of Jesus releases people to speak by challenging voices of their oppression. And we as a church should desire to hear freed voices. And I love the fact that Seven Mile Road is involved with some of these ministries, be it BTC or be it other ways, North Hill community or there's different ways our church is involved in being a blessing to the community and hearing and delivering people, and that's great. But here's my question. How much are you personally involved in your own spheres of life? Are you aware that Jesus' kingdom is waiting to break in, in and around you? But maybe you're not following Jesus' spirit. My friend Abhishek uh, from Pune uh, Abhishek, as a student, he used to live in our house quite often, but in the middle of the week, uh, right after his classes, his classes, he was a law student, 7.30, 7, 7 o'clock, his classes would start at 7 in the morning and go all the way to 11.30. At 11.30, he, as soon as his classes got over, he would head from Pune to Mumbai, and he would make his way to the prisons in Mumbai and hearing people's stories, because he knew there were several people who were falsely accused and put in prisons. And he wanted to hear the stories to see how he could help them. There was one man named Prem who was, who was in jail for like 18 years for no real fault of his. 
and he heard Prem's story. He did everything he could to get Prem free. Finally, it took several years, but years later, the day that Abhishek cleared his bar exam was the day that was set for the hearing of Prem. And Abhishek made the case. The High Court Justice of Mumbai finally favored what Abhishek said, and Prem was released after all these years. Is that something you and I think we can do? This is a simple student who was at work over here. You and I are always exposed to many of these stories, and it is only right that we, if we are truly following Jesus' spirit, we would speak into this. Because the girl is released, Paul and Silas are now seized. There is a substitution at work when you follow Jesus. Your freedom becomes theirs and their oppression becomes yours. Paul and Silas are grabbed by these businessmen and they drag them to the authorities and they complain to the magistrates and they accuse them falsely saying, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us Romans to adopt or practice. This gets the crowd all frenzied up and they join in attacking Paul and Silas. And the magistrates order they be, them being stripped off and being beaten several times with rods and sent to a maximum security prison. Paul and Silas received a hearing that was unfair, lawless, and xenophobic. You hear the story and you think this is something that's happening now. No, sin has affected every country and all, most of the countries have corrupt justice systems and failed prison systems. And America is no different in this. The justice and prison systems, in all its horror, has left, bro left people with broken homes, uh, economic segregation, fatherless children, and severe oppression. Please be aware that disciples of Jesus cannot afford to remain silent. We cannot afford to remain silent and escape our necessary confrontation with these systems. Some systems gain a life of its own under demonic influence, and it starts ruling over people. And the tentacles of this vileness, which detests the good news, which frees the oppressed, the tentacles of this vileness now extends itself to grab on Paul and Silas just like it did our Lord Jesus Christ. We Christians should take into account that our Lord Jesus, he was falsely accused, given an unfair trial by power-hungry people. He was sent to the torture chambers, and he was sent naked to the electric chair of his times. Our Lord's crucifixion was the worst form and worst and shameful form of execution. We Christians of all people should rise up against corruption and deceit in the prison and justice systems in the countries we live in. And over here, that means for you, you need to get engaged with these things. In this place of vigorous oppression, though, Paul and Silas pray and praise God. They have prayerfully followed Jesus into this womb of death, in this inner room where they were shackled up. The centrality of prayer again comes up over here. 
and prayer is understood in the context of suffering and rejection. Prayers and praise in church meetings, in Sunday schools, on a Sunday morning, all these are good. They're necessary. We cannot do without them. But it would still be misleading and confusing if we separate them from its true context of missional suffering. Many of you here may not be suffering like that, but these are our, the opportunity we are given so as to join with those who are suffering and pray to our God for deliverance. These are opportunities for us to raise our voices and sing praises of a God who indeed does deliver. In their dark place, Paul and Silas sing and worship in their bloodied bodies. And there are listeners all around them in the prison. Suddenly there's an earthquake and all the chains are broken and the foundations of the prison are shaken. Jesus' kingdom has a powerful way of breaking into daily realities and that happened for Paul and Silas yet again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's possible? And the jailer wakes up and he sees that the prison doors are open and fearing that the prisoners have escaped, he draws the sword to take his own life. But Paul calls out and assures him that everyone still remains. And through this unbelievable incident, Jesus' spirit moves the jailer to ask the grand question of all time. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Soon we see that through their preaching, like Lydia, even the jailer and his household get saved and they get baptized. And then you see this beautiful picture where the jailer is now prayerfully following Jesus' spirit as an act of maybe restitution. The same person, people on whom he inflicted wounds probably earlier, now he's nursing their wounds. And he invites them to a meal. As the story continues, maybe it's the earthquake. But the magistrates realize there's something really going on with Paul and Silas and that they ought to be released. So they send the cops to the jail to announce the good news. Hey, Paul and Silas, we know you were mistreated earlier, but here's the good news. You can get out of here now. Peace, buddy. But Paul and Silas refused to move unless they got an official apology. I want to remind all of you that Christian life is not a lie down and please walk all over me ethic. It is not. Very often we are tempted to think, oh yeah, that's what our Lord did, but that's not true. That is what our Lord did, but that's not true that we just lie down and let people walk all over us. There is a respect for bodies and lives in Christianity. Jesus cares about this. From the womb to the tomb, Jesus cares about bodies and life. Though Jesus was wrongly accused, he desires a purer justice system in every land. Our Lord was as embodied as it gets. He suffered bodily and he was wrongly accused and tortured. We should not have any tolerance for the ways of the empire for Jesus' time or our time. Seven Mile Road. Jesus cares for real embodied deliverance. He cares for deliverance of souls. He cares for the deliverance of the enslaved and the oppressed. 
He cares for the deliverance of those who are wrongly accused and imprisoned. He, our Lord, He is the deliverer. And this Jesus who suffered all this Himself, He was raised again. And He lives now and He is the one who is directing your mission. Are you keenly aware of that as you prayerfully follow this Lord? So how do you prayerfully follow him? So here are a few quick um, applications on how you can prayerfully follow him in your everyday life. One is definitely by praying. Praying, it's absolutely probably the first act of denying yourself and relying on him. It's a looking unto Jesus and saying, I have no idea, O Lord, and I lack and I'm weak in faith. So help me and lead me to see your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. One of the other things that I used to be allergic of for quite some time, though I grew up in that system, was uh, praying the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may have grown up with that. But if you meaningfully pray the Lord's Prayer, it's the summary of what your best prayers could look like. As you pray, the other thing I would rec recommend is going through the Psalms. The Psalms are a way of drawing your own soul to crying out to this God who's a redeemer. And if you do this daily, there's a way that you are fashioned like the Psalms to depend upon the Lord. You would experience the nearness of God in, in ways you otherwise wouldn't. My friends, pray. Pray, that's one of the ways we prayerfully rely on Jesus' spirit to experience God's kingdom breaking in our everyday life. The other one is by reading the Bible. If you read the Bible in meditation or even otherwise, it gives you a feel for the big story of what God is trying to do. You'll get a feel for the fact that our Lord, He's the Savior, He's the Deliverer. And you'll get the rush of the story as many times as you go back to the scriptures. Read the Bible in regular rhythms. Read it as individuals, read it in groups, maybe in, even in your discipleship groups. Get together to read significant, significant portions of the Bible. Praying, reading the Bible. Another thing I would say is uh, daily liturgies. Again, uh, I know this can be a bit uh, scary when you all hear the word liturgies. I'm not talking of Sunday morning thing over here. I'm talking of your daily rhythms. There are some um, great tools that are out there some which I personally use. Uh, some of you all wake up every day morning with a mug of coffee to get yourself going. Uh, I don't drink coffee. And so you might be thinking, woe unto you, Vivek. You don't know what you're missing out in life. Uh, I don't drink coffee, and yet I'm groggy. And one of the things that gets me going the first thing in the morning is uh, a book called The Valley of Vision. Uh, it has some remarkable prayers uh, which bring you so close to God. And th in the end, you have these morning prayers, midday prayers, and evening prayers. Uh, these are just wonderful tools by which you can experience the nearness of God, and it beckons you to trust God. Another book which came out recently is a book called Every Moment Holy. They've got uh, liturgies for your everyday life, for even different things. Even for those who are brewing their coffee in the morning, there's a liturgy for that. So, there are different ways that we, we can experience the nearness of God as you look on to him and you wait on him. And you can use these tools. But the other ways of, of, 
of relying and, and, and prayerfully following Jesus' spirit is to look around in your society. The spirit of God is at work in your neighborhoods. Don't cocoon yourself amongst believers alone, but go out over there, be part of township meetings, be part of those council meetings, hear the stories. They always discuss what's going wrong and what needs fixing and hear these stories and be of counsel, be of wisdom to them as you are part of that society. And be eager to work towards deliverance. That's the shape that God's kingdom breaking in is going to look like. Deliverance. So look for what's broken in the society around you. Who all are the affected people? Are there people with terminal illness? Are there people with mental illness? Are there people with physical disabilities? Is there care for such in your neighborhood? See how structures can be of place. Be the one who's passionate about this in your neighborhood. Look for those who are oppressed, who are disadvantaged, who are neglected, who are underrepresented. Go sit with them. Listen to their stories. Pray with them. Proclaim the gospel. That's how you prayerfully follow Jesus' spirit. Not just praying and reading the Bible and daily liturgies and getting involved in the society, but you proclaim the gospel in as many venues as possible of a king who has come to rescue his kingdom from this oppression. And constantly remember that it is Jesus who delivers. Very often people who get into this kind of a work finally take it upon themselves. They think they are the one who is doing the rescue. Many people get burned in the process. My friends, it's Jesus who delivers. Remind yourself constantly of that and wait on him and prayerfully follow this Jesus. And as you do that, and as you prayerfully listen to him and walk in his ways, you will see God's kingdom breaking into your everyday reality. You will think, see things happen in your office which you haven't heard of before and which you have not seen before. Because the Spirit has alerted you to that. My friends, the gospel is the good news of King Jesus. He came to deliver all creation from the powers of sin and death. He came to crush these powers which corrupted his beautiful creation of which you were the centerpiece. And he came in as a baby, born in a manger, one with man, dwelt among men. And as he ushered his ministry in, he was delivering the sick. He was giving eyesight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He healed those with leprosy and he proclaimed the good news. And he did this all every day waiting on the Lord, his father. Every day he prayed. He even told his, his followers, I speak what I hear the Father say. I do things which I see the Father do. And he went and did that. He lived the life that you and I should be living now. He did that. And he saw the Father's kingdom breaking into his everyday reality. But come towards the end of his life. He kept crying to God, but there was silence. God's kingdom did not break in. But that silence was God's kingdom breaking into your reality. For your deliverance and for your salvation, he had to be taken to the cross and murdered there. As sin and Satan thought they had the last laugh as Jesus was put in the tomb, a day goes by 
The second day goes by, and before you know it, there's a stench in that tomb. By the third day, Jesus' body convulses to life as blood is being pumped from his heart, and the whole body comes alive. In three days, sin, death, and all the power it exerts over all humanity, its power was crushed. His objective was accomplished. Reconciliation has happened. Jesus came to dissolve the comprehensive division between us and God, which is theological, between each other, which is sociological, within ourselves, which is psychological, between us and all nature and all creation, which is ecological. He came to dissolve all these things and reconcile all things to himself in a grander, more beautiful way than it ever would have been. And he did this not by fighting a big battle with the fanciest buttons to press. He did this through his death and resurrection. For those who are yet to follow him in this manner, I plead with you, call on Jesus' name now. Some of you have been walking as Christians and have not embraced this, this Christ, this King, and this Gospel. I would plead with you to come to him and say, Yes, God. It's you who I want to follow. Give me a grander vision. Let me follow you by listening to your spirit. You are bigger than all these things. Some of you are heavy hearted today maybe. Because you've lived a significant part of your life. And not truly followed Jesus by his spirit in your everyday life. Seeing him at work. Maybe all you've done is gone to school and come back. And you don't have a lip story to say. And then you've gone to office and come back and you've had your children and you've lived a normal life and you're thinking, oh, that's bad. I'm a loser. You're not. God has shaped your story and today he's beckoning you to come to him. He's bidding you to come to him because there's always forgiveness. Jesus is not intimidating. And his spirit is comforting. And he invites you today to come to him and call on his name, and follow him. And today onwards, my friends, today onwards, you will experience God's kingdom breaking in to your everyday life in your story from now on. So come to him as we pray. Heavenly Father, help us to prayerfully follow you, O oh God. Help us not to follow our favorite pastors, our favorite preachers, our favorite churches, help us to avoid following our own intuitions, but help us to live in, the, in, a, in a way which functionally reflects the fact that we believe that your spirit is at work in everything. Help us to live in a world where your spirit animates and gives life and redeems and delivers. And help us to be part of that story, O oh God. And help us to pray to you and seek you in all things and all ways, O oh God. Oh Lord, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. All this we ask in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen.